0: Hey there, nature lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We're still approaching our spooky season, so keep an eye out for that spooky merch coming real soon to our website, thebirdiebunchpodcast.com. With that out of the way, though, let's get into it. Hey everybody! Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch Podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, fascination. My name is CJ, and I'm joined by my two friends and co-hosts. I'm Brittany, and I'm Matt. And we have a pretty uh, 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 loud and, and and noisy and and, and so- sound sound filled episode this week, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I was perusing uh, this week's episode outline I have to say it sounds pretty lovely
0: it sounds pretty it does sound pretty very good thank you I sounds appreciate pretty that
1: fantastic thank you thank you pretty fantastic some might say
0: oh spoilers so uh let's uh let's let's just chat about how we're doing this week what, what's everybody been off to it's
1: just another day in the life of a grad student to be honest um which is a long day but bird banding's been vamping up again and we recently got a screech owl which was extremely surprising but extremely, really, really cool to be up close and personal with a species that normally most people don't even see or hear just to being nocturnal. I mean, today today of recording being the day that I saw it, we also, as I was driving through the woods to get there, I saw turkeys in the road, an eastern box turtle crossing the road that I, I picked up. And I was like, here you go, bud. I don't want you to get hit. Um, there were deer and I drove in and like still like the dark. And so the stars were all out and stuff. And then there was two baby raccoons that ran across the road. Like wildlife has been pretty, pretty cool. I will say it's been a lot of fun just being able to be out in nature again as like a hobby and like a job ish kind of thing.
0: I love that, Matthew. Thanks for sharing. Brittany, what have you been up to this week?
2: Um, a whole not a whole lot. Um, I've been working on my bioactive vivarium. Um, so I just got all of my plants and stuff. Brittany, what
0: the heck is a bioactive vivarium?
2: <laughs> um, so a uh, bioactive vivarium is just basically a terrarium that is self working. So I have isopads and springtails, which are like little tiny bugs that kind of eat mold and kind of help all of the soil and this dirt and stuff keep going. Then I have specific plants for um, all of the air quality and soil and all of that. So it's super fun. I am taking in some bumblebee poison dart frogs that are going to be going into my bioactive vivarium. And so it's all very exciting. I'm working on making my own background for it. Um, I've just been doing a whole lot of research and a whole lot of prep to get started on work, uh, the actual build part.
0: Thanks for sharing about your bioactive Vivarium Brittany. That's really exciting. I'm excited to see that. I have also not been up to too much this week. i uh, just been working, working working like a frickin' worker. But we're here at the Birdie Bunch podcast, and we're going to have a good time this week. So let's jump into our first segment of the week, the creature feature. So I'm I'm bringing back uh, something that I used to do quite a bit and having you guys guess the creature feature. Um, Normally, I would say, like, give us some non-spoilery hints. But we're talking animal sounds this week, and this creature makes a pretty unique sound. Before I play that sound and have uh, both Matt and Brittany and maybe our listeners guess, I do have some hints before I play the sound. So what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna you know say some some animal sounds and those you'll know these these animals are not the, the creature feature okay you got so it the, the dog says woof the cat says meow the bird say, goes tweet the mouse goes squeak the cow goes moo the frog says croak and the elephant goes toot ducks say quack fish go blub and seals go ow, ow, ow. But I'm going to play this creature's noise right now.
1: The rhyme scheme of that was phenomenal.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I worked really hard.
1: I worked really
0: hard on it. I worked really
2: hard. I was about to say, it's super original.
0: Mm Hmm. So that that was that was this creature uh, this week. What are our guesses? What are what do we think this creature is?
1: Well, first off, before we can identify it, don't we have to know what it says?
0: I, I mean, we just heard what it said. We yeah, heard. What we heard what does it, does it sounds it
1: like. Say?
0: Well, I mean, it goes ring, ding, 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 ring, ring. <laughs> it goes wap, pa, 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 pow.
1: Pa, 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 pow. It does. Yeah. Wow.
0: Brittany, what's our creature feature? <laughs>
1: You've been sitting on it. I know you know what it is. It goes hot tea. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I don't know. I don't know what the fox oh. is, actually.
0: Oh, you do. It is a fox. Absolutely. <laughs> so we are talking about the red fox this week, also known as vulpes. Vulpiz. I like saying that because it reminds me of Vulpix the Pokemon. So a red fox is a, uh, a species of animal. It is a canid related to dogs and they're found pretty much all over the Northern Hemisphere. It was also introduced to Australia by European settlers, and now it's an invasive species there. So they are just all over the place. Red foxes make a variety of different sounds, including barks, screams, howls, squeals, and geckering. Recent studies have identified 12 different sound produced by adults and eight by kits, also known as baby foxes. Two of the most commonly heard calls are the bark and scream, perhaps because they're the loudest and can be heard for some distance. Another common call is the wow-wow-wow contact call, which sounds more like a bird than a fox. Interestingly, the sound of the fox has become one of the most searched for animal vocalizations in the last few years. Following the hugely popular novelty dance song, What Does the Fox Say? Which is by a Norwegian comedy pair don't quite know how to say their name. Give us... I'm going to commit to that.
1: I thought it was Elvis, wasn't it?
0: Sure. Sure. That sounds right.
1: Yeah. Great.
0: In the song, they list a number of silly possibilities for what the Fox's voice sounds like. But today, we absolutely heard what they sound like. And that is uh, what the Fox says this week. Any other comments from my co-hosts?
1: This isn't about their sound, but a personal experience I've had with a fox. I've had one in my backyard once. And I great underestimated- Great story, Matt. great story. I, I, I underestimated the little bugger, right? We have like six foot fences. And so we had a fox go in the back. We were like, oh, I'm gonna go out and take a picture of it, right? It's in the corner of the fence, right? You know, be able to, you know, keep its distance. It's not scaring it or anything like that. I was half a yard away. I have a really long lens. I was very excited about it. I walk outside. And I watched the thing just not like climb, just literally just leap in a single bound, pop right over this five and a half foot fence and land on the other side and run away. And I'm just standing there like, huh?
0: They're they're multi-talented, these foxes.
1: They're very crafty. They're very, very they're, crafty. They're, they're very sly. They're
0: they're nifty. They're, they're sly. sly They make lots of sounds. Mm-hmm. They they say hottie hati hotty, hotty ho. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that wraps up our Creature Feature for this week. Let's move into current events.
1: All righty. So this current event comes out of the Wildlife Society, the link wildlife.org, posted on September 8th, 2021, titled Duck Stamp Artwork Doesn't Have to Depict Hunting. So in 2020, there was a controversial, very controversial ruling where the government came in and basically announced that their U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service run duck stamp program. um, Officially, the annual federal migratory bird hunting and conservation stamp contest, which everyone, like I said, refers to as the duck stamp contest the government in 2020 came in and basically made it a rule that anything depicted on these stamps um, that were devised for this contest had to include hunting or hunting related imagery now essentially this program has been going on for a pretty long time and results in a ton of money that comes into federal duck conservation programs since the program was started The purchases of duck stamps across the country have actually contributed over $100 billion to duck conservation and has protected over 6 million acres of land set aside for duck conservation. Essentially, the way this works is every year since 1934, people have submitted artwork. The winners are put onto a $25 stamp, which then the waterfowl hunters are required to purchase in the United States. What's cool is that a lot of people, even non-hunters alike, just buy these because they are cool. They've become kind of a collector's item as well, and in doing so have raised a crap ton of money for duck conservation. Now that takes us to 2020 where, like I said, there was a controversial rule that required each entry in the contest to include hunting imagery in the artwork, and the rhetoric was that it kind of captured the heritage of what duck conservation has been in the united states that was what was said about it um and it was to promote and celebrate hunters and wildlife conservationists and acknowledge their contributions to public lands and there is something to be said for that wholly admittedly right that's hunters have especially with ducks contributed a large amount a large 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 amount to duck conservation in fact the inception of Organizations like Field and Stream and other groups that deal so heavily in conservation within the realm of hunting have set aside a ton of land and kind of helped kickstart the American conservation current movement. Now, with that said, though, a lot of people were very unsatisfied with this because for one, it was said that it stifled artists creative freedom, right? If you have to put in shotgun shells or a ton of different other things, uh, dogs, hunting dogs, or imagery of any other kind of hunting related stuff, you know, that kind of ties the hands of whoever wants to make those stamps and draw them. And other people were worried that people who aren't into hunting wouldn't buy them. That's a very, a very real thing, right? That's You might accidentally alienate a big portion of your audience, those people who aren't hunters, but still really enjoy them as a collector's item or enjoy birds, all those reasons. So they basically went back on that. So that rule only lasted about a year um, and the new rule will be in effect for 2022. Essentially, we had a year of needing hunting imagery. This year, we'll actually still be following the 2020 regulations, Um, the contest being held on September 24th and 25th, so coming up. But going forward, that'll be no more. So a very quick change of pace in 2020 that is very quickly being changed again. So that is a cool little article coming out about the way that the government is handling conservation. And Go check out some duck stamps near you. You know they're only twenty five dollars a purchase, and frankly, they're the artwork's beautiful. If you don't have the money to buy them, just check them out. Give the artist some credit; they do a really good job.
0: Yeah, the the entire duck stamp initiative is absolutely fascinating. So, thank you for sharing about that and some new uh, conservation uh, news about it. That's fabulous. My current event this week is actually going to be a guest current event. So I'm going to toss to our guest to uh, to cover that current event right now.
3: Hey there, nature lovers. This is Jack Cross, uh, bringing you guys a guest current event of the week. Um, Unfortunately, this is not a positive current event that happened recently, especially with uh, today's topic. This is actually a a very, very unfortunate current event that happened with an animal that is discussed in length in this episode. recently. In the Faroe Islands, which is an archipelago halfway between Iceland, Norway, and England. Sometime within the week of September 8th, the Faroes people had a drive hunt of dolphins where they managed to slaughter 1,428 Atlantic white-sided dolphins in one day. This was the entire super pod that they found, uh, estimated to be roughly 2% of the highest estimation of the North Atlantic population of Atlantic white-sided dolphins in a day. This event is considered the last form of indigenous whaling within Western Europe and is protected by the EU, but the EU is currently being pressured by many, many foreign bodies to punish the Faroe Islands with like sanctions and other punishments due to just the extremism showed within this one-day hunt. For reference, the feroce people have also killed more than 600 long fin pilot whales this summer alone. And this is the largest recorded single day hunt of cetaceans in the history of the planet. And there, it was, it was pointless. There's their freezers are already full of pilot whale from this previous summer and they basically, these 1,428 dolphins lost their lives for Legitimately no reason other than the people wanted to do it, which doesn't reflect great on the uh, attitudes or not the attitudes, beliefs some people have about their authority over the natural world. Especially when it comes to fellow intelligent animals or intelligent beings. I mean no offense to the people's culture. I just, I mean offense to their um, hunting practices. So this hunting event is considered part of their heritage and the food is considered part of their like cultural diet but as i said they've already killed more than 600 pilot whales this summer alone and this event was a it was not scheduled so it was not even legal these events are only legally allowed to take place on certain days when it's known to happen and on certain beaches within the faroe islands this was not one of those beaches not one of those days the Pharaoh, this was an opportunistic killing of the entire superpod that they found off the coast of uh, the islands. And as I said, the EU is being pressured to raise sanctions against the Faroe Islands due to this the highly like illegal nature of this one-day hunt. This is an extreme. I feel it's a very strong hit to the uh, both cetacean population in general and the Atlantic white-sided dolphin population because, like I said, this was at minimum, 2% of the highest estimate of the North Atlantic population of Atlantic white-sided dolphins. This is something that I feel strongly about because it's ridiculous, and I cannot continue to look at pictures on the articles that I'm reading this off of. For some further context on the act of pack-drive hunting of cetaceans, this is performed when uh, speedboats will round up the cetaceans, usually the In this instance, the entire superpod and drive them towards a bay or fjord where they continue to drive them towards the shore until the whales or dolphins are beached and then people will just go around and slit the throats of the pilot whales or dolphins. In this instance, someone was quoted saying there are too few people killing dolphins. So the dolphins were basically suffocating and gasping for breath while being beached. Someone within the... Whaling Administration of the Faroe Islands is quoted saying that hunting white-sided dolphins was a sustainable practice with a yearly number of around 250, um, making Sunday's catch almost six times that of the average year. In conclusion, we lost a large chunk of the Atlantic white-sided dolphins population this within the last month. And unfortunately, this practice will continue until the EU is either pressured enough to punish the Faroe Islands for doing this, or another body steps in to punish this self-governing region, which is considered, I think, a province of Denmark for the grave injustice performed on these animals.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks, Jack, for that current event. I could really hear your passion in that. So it's a pretty serious current event. So thanks for sharing that. Brittany, what's your current event this week?
2: So my current event comes from The Guardian, and the title reads, Squirrels have human-like personality traits, says study. Basically, the University of California did a study where they sat and watched these squirrels, golden-mantled ground squirrels to be specific, and just recorded a bunch of data on them. They were looking at... Aggression and quote-unquote being bold and kind of looking at what their personalities are like. And so um, the reason why I find this article so interesting is because, um, especially in the animal field, we talk a lot about not anthropomorphizing animals. I know it's been somewhat of a discussion here on the podcast and it's one I'm really interested in talking more about um, because it's something that's really hard not to do because it is intrinsically just what we as humans associate with being able to connect with animals, is being able to give them personalities or uh, treat them as if they're humans, right? Um... And so the study kind of says that basically finds that the bolder or more aggressive uh, ground squirrel are the ones who got more resources. And they're the ones who were able to collect enough food. They were able to get the best spots, whereas the more shy and, and timid ones weren't the ones with the better resources. And they kind of compared that to being, having more of a personality and being more bold and, and out there and extroverted, I guess. And so, um, I have lots of thoughts about this article. I think one is that just from like a science standpoint, like you cannot give an animal a human feeling. Like you, you can't give an animal a human feeling. That's just that you don't. You can't say this animal is happy. You can't say that they're creative. You can't say that they're sad or angry or whatever. You can look at their behaviors and study their behaviors and say that behavior is more aggressive or that behavior uh, is normal or you know abnormal or whatever it is. But I think that. Like I said earlier, like as humans, we love giving animals human personalities. And I think it's just the way that we're able to connect. And everybody's guilty of it. As much as I say you can't give animals human personalities, I anthropomorphize my dog like it ain't nobody's business. Um, and it's something that I just think we all kind of do, and it's a way of connection. I think just though that the article themselves and them trying to associate human traits and emotions to animals is really interesting and i'd be curious to know more about the actual scientific study to see if there's more to it than what this article is is giving off so i just find it really fascinating um i think i might do a little bit more research on it but yeah that's my current event
0: that's super interesting and we we talk a lot about the anthropomorphization of animals, so definitely thanks for sharing. That will definitely be a topic we'll have to come back to. I think the the entire concept of maybe applying human characteristics to animals is maybe a whole topic we could cover one day. Let's move on to our main topic for today, which uh, uh sounds so, sounds like a pretty pretty good time to me. So, so noise. So- What is sound? Why do we speak? Can I hear a blue whale sing, please? These are the questions that keep me up at night. Today, I will be providing a contemporary twist on the sound and acoustics of nature and how we came from squeaks and chirps to the intricacy of human speech. The first step. History this is very funny to me it's not funny to anybody else and i'm so sorry over 200 million years ago nocturnal animals were the first to evolve vocal noises so they could communicate with each other in the dark the first creatures to walk on land didn't have the ability to communicate via sound so evolutionarily speaking this is a pretty new thing considering life has been around for a couple billion years at this point imagine taking a hike through a forest or a stroll through the zoo and not a single sound fills the airs no birds singing no tigers roaring no monkeys chattering no human voices acoustic communication among vertebrate animals is such a familiar experience that it seems almost impossible to imagine a world shrouded in silence in that regard but evolutionarily When did the ability to make all these different noise evolve in the first place? An article published a few years back described an evolutionary tree for about 1800 species, showing the evolutionary relationships of mammals, birds, lizards, snakes, turtles, crocodilians, and amphibians going back about 350 million years. They obtained data from the scientific literature on the absence or presence of acoustic communication within each sampled species and mapped it onto the tree. The study show that the origins of communication by sound are strongly associated with that nocturnal lifestyle, like I mentioned. And this really makes sense because once light is no longer available to show off visual cues, such as color patterns, to intimidate a competitor, or to attract a mate, transmitting signals by sound really becomes advantageous. Extrapolating from the species in the sample, the authors estimate that the acoustic communication is present in more than two-thirds of terrestrial vertebrates. While some animal groups, birds, frogs, mammals, readily come to mind for their vocal talents, so many others use sound. So let's get into the diversity of sound. The second step, divorced. There is diversity in all different types of noises, right, in animal sounds. In terms of species in terms of noises made so just a question for my fellow podcast co-hosts when you think of the diversity of animals who make sound name just a couple examples of species that make some pretty interesting sounds we talked about a couple earlier but what do you guys think
1: well i think one of the most fascinating uh diversifications that happens is not like the diversity of the sounds themselves but of the usage of the sounds I think that's something that's always really fascinated me because birds themselves have upwards. Sometimes, you know, you have some birds that can control their sound creating mechanisms so well that they can have like 10, 12 different noises that they produce each for a different kind of communication method. A big part of bird sound is communication. And then you get bats who come in here like, yeah, no, this is like the way I catch stuff. And so like, there's so many different ways that sound is utilized across the animal kingdom. That is such a fascinating thing. I might even do a science breakdowns with Matt, bring that back, resurrect it. You know, we'll be resurrecting a lot of things for this year's Spooky Bunch. Um, but maybe I'll do one about how birds Ooh, make sound. spooky
0: resurrection.
1: Resurrecting. I'll do one based on, uh, I'll do one based on sound. That might be kind of interesting.
0: I think that, I think there's some spooky sounds out there for sure.
1: Well, especially birds. Yeah, I heard a barn owl. <laughs>
0: Heard a Dracula parrot? That was going to be my Creature Feature. I'm not going to lie. Oh, They make oh. a scary noise. They make a scary noise.
1: They probably do. They sure look like they do.
0: Brittany, any any uh, interesting animal noises you know about?
2: Um. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool that we can use sound as a part of being able to classify animals. So when you think about big cats versus not like the smaller cat version and it's based on whether a part of it is based on whether or not they can roar or whether they just do chuffs and purrs and I think that's really fascinating and really cool because when I think of clouded leopards I definitely think of it as a big cat but technically it's not roar but then you've got snow leopard that can't roar but are still considered a big cat. I just think it's really fascinating how sound kind of comes into play with classification. It's really interesting to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely, right? Animals have such a diverse use of sounds, right? So Matt kind of mentioned bats really quickly. Bats use sound to navigate and catch their prey by generating this ultrasound with their mouths that can range between 14,000 and 100,000 hertz. Insects and other targets are found by using that ultrasound echolocation. After finding the location of their prey, in addition to bats using echolocation, dolphins also use echolocation. Yeah, so when we look at you know things like cone-toothed whales, um, in terms of like sperm whales or um, killer whales, or you know other species of dolphins, they all use sound as a weapon to find their prey. After finding their prey, if they can't catch it, they can't catch that evading fish. Sometimes what dolphins will do is they will actually emit a powerful click to potentially even stun that target. one of my favorite examples of using sound for a diverse reason is a species called the pistol shrimp. <laughs> everyone everyone on the calls eyes open pretty wide. Does anybody want to talk about the pistol shrimp?
2: I don't I might be thinking of the wrong the wrong species. Is that the one that like is like super duper strong?
0: Yeah, so 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 pistol shrimp, what they'll do as opposed to like mantis shrimp who like punch really quickly. Like they punch like at like the speed of sound basically. But what pistol shrimp do is they like clench their little claws, little shrimp claws. They'll clench them so fast, it creates like a bubble of sound and fires it at that same speed, like a pistol shooting a bullet. The third step. You Animals use sounds for all different purposes. But how do we know all of this about, you know, these sounds that the animals make, right? What What is the science behind it? And who studies these things? So the, the field of, of studying biological and acoustic sciences is a field called bioacoustics which uses sound technologies to record, preserve, and analyze large data sets of animal communications. But it is also a world made of the meanings created through inter and intra-species communication. Sound is a giant portion of how animals communicate, right? We know all about the different displays that animals make, about you know the different behaviors that animals can do, but sounds is a huge part of their behavior as well. And those sounds have tons of different meanings, and they do all different things, just like I just mentioned. So we're we're talking a lot about, you know, the evolutionary history of sound. We're talking a lot about bioacoustics, but we really haven't even explained what sound is, right? Sound is a vibration that typically propagates as an audible wave of pressure through a transmission medium such as gas, liquid, or solid. So... When you hear sound come through the air, you're hearing us through the airwaves right now, through Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. We're, we're transmitting through all kinds of different waves, right? Um, sound waves coming through your little speakers, transmitting through the air. Sometimes animals transmit through other things. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Animals do lots of crazy things. So what I'm going to do now is talk a little bit about some some more crazy, crazy animals and then i want to move into the history of language and sound and speaking so we talk about some animals doing some interesting noises have you guys ever heard of the sound that beavers make with their tails and do you know why they do it
2: does it slap
0: <laughs> it does slap actually so yeah what they'll do is they'll they'll use their their paddle-like tail to slap the top of the water and that can be used for a couple different things it can be used to be a distraction from you know to pull predators away from the dam it can be you know, a, a call to other beavers. They can be lots of good stuff. But what are the loudest animals? Any guesses on the loudest animals?
2: Honestly, I would like to say any freaking parrot that's like ticked off. Um, Not
0: even close, frankly. I
1: think it's the blue whale, right?
2: it
0: is the blue whale
1: extreme blue whale most extreme. actually
0: the blue whale is the loudest animal on the planet with vocalizations up to 188 decibels heard over 150 kilometers away but it's also the largest animal so it's only 0.0012 decibels per kilo of body mass which is not very impressive The loudest land animal is the howler monkey at 88 decibels, which we've done a whole um, infographic. on. we we'll going to reshare that this week. And with that 88 decibels, it has an impressive 88 decibels per kilogram, which is almost 10,000 times louder per unit mass than the blue whale. But any guesses on the loudest per size?
1: Is it a bird?
0: It's not a bird. It's a species really? we've talked about already today.
1: I mean, I don't know. It could be the pistol shrimp.
0: It is, in fact, the is pistol it really? shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> so the loudest animal in the world, the blue whale, is also the biggest animal. And one of the smallest animals, the pistol shrimp, while the sound frequency is much higher and only travels for a few centimeters, the snap from its claw can register 190 decibels which is technically louder than that of the blue whale and since the shrimp itself only weighs 50 grams this works out to a hugely disproportionate 3800 decibels per kilogram so loudest animal pistol shrimp game changer So, for all of our listeners and my fellow co-hosts on this call, I'd really love it if you'd put your fingertips against your throat and just say the words "the birdie bunch." Put them right here on your throat, right underneath your chin, and say "the birdie bunch." So just put just put two fingers right there on your throat, right below your chin. And say the words, the birdie bunch.
2: The birdie bunch.
1: The birdie bunch.
0: Now, do you feel that vibration when you say it? Yep. That vibration is your larynx. So your larynx, also called the voice box, is where a lot of scientists think that speech really began. Most hominids don't have their uh, larynx in the same position that we do. So evolutionarily... A lot of scientists think that it's possible that that could be the reason why homo sapiens developed speech while other animals didn't. Another paper that was what was published disagreed with that theory. They argued that the ingredients for speech were present in our ancestors much earlier than you know that other theory suggested about 200,000 years ago. In fact, they think that the ability to produce words could have been around as long as 27 million years when humans and old world monkeys like baboons and mandrills last shared a common ancestor. So it's really interesting to think about the history of human speech and our ability to make sounds when, you know, scientists really can't quite figure it out either. You know, there's there's theories that think that it could be millions and millions of years old when people could still think it could just be not even not even 1 million. So the history of speech is still pretty new just like the history of sound about 200 million years ago. So that's, that's 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 gonna wrap up uh my my chat on uh the history of sound and I hope it sounded interesting <laughs> anyway. Well, let's uh let's wrap up today's episode. Where can y'all be found on the social meds?
1: You can find me on Instagram that'll be at Matt Valiga M A T T V's and Victor A L I G A. And you might see some grad school smatterings coming up. We're starting to get into data collection and analyzation so we'll see if there's uh some stuff that goes up about that
2: you can also find me on instagram at the britney underscore bunch t-h-e-b-r-i-t-t-a-n-y underscore b as in brichter u-n-c-h
0: you get pranked man you freaking pranked
1: now now, before I respond to that, I'd also like to go back, because I think I said the word analyzation, and I don't think that's a word. It's not. We're going We're going to be doing analysis, not analyzation.
0: Analyzation. I'm in grad school. Anyway, you can find me <laughs> on Instagram at cj.cracker, that's cjg And and uh, who knows what I'm going to post. Maybe it'll be something fun. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Who's to say? You can find all of us collectively on Instagram at the Birdie Bunch Podcast. Um, You can also visit our website, thebradybunchpodcast.com, where you can find all sorts of resources from this episode. I linked lots of uh, scientific articles, lots of uh, news articles as well, discussing some of these things, Um, as well as all of our current events. You can also visit our merch store. Like I said, Spooky Bunch merch coming soon. Keep an eye out. Spooky Bunch in just two weeks, folks. You can also visit our Patreon when you visit our website. So if you visit our Patreon, we have a couple different tiers of support you can support us at. Some of those tiers include a shout out here on the podcast. So, shout out to our one patron, Game Andre. Thank you so much for being a patron. But there's also other tiers of support. Um, you can you can get the full uh, unedited video of this podcast. You can get uh, an extra bonus podcast a month. So sign up. We do some fun stuff on there. If you if you want to support the podcast but you can't do so financially, totally okay. What you can do is you can leave us a review. If you leave us a five star review, we will read it out here on the podcast. You can also share this podcast with a friend. If you share this podcast with a friend, that's how we grow. So use sound and say 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 a sound and share share with a friend. Friend share sound. Um, <laughs> I think that about wraps up today's episode. Any other thoughts, from my friends? Not a one. Not a two. Not a three. Well, thank you so much for listening this week. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.
1: But until last time caught you this time, I'm keeping that in. Oh, (laughs) thank you for joining us for another episode of the birdie Blunch podcast.
0: We would like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our logos. Elliot high for being our writing and production assistant and Connor Whitman for being our music producer.
2: The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.